Hey, this is Andrew Marsh from Winter Hearth, and you're headbanging to Misery Point Radio. <laughs> Arctic Pilgrims, thanks for joining me again on Misery Point Radio. An absolute honor to have you trudging through the sea of ice to join me here in the somewhat less frigid yet equally barren wasteland of internet radio. And what better way to celebrate our frosty union than to revel in the music and the tales of an epic band that makes its home in the frozen wastes and turns out the blackest fables of musical folklore. Suffice it to say, this episode represents a first for Misery Point Radio because as of yet, we have not had a band that hailed from the mystical fabled far-off kingdom of Canada, (laughs) until now anyway, today's guest, Andrew Marsh, does indeed call the land of frozen Canucks his home. Hailing from the easternmost point of Canada, that is Newfoundland, Andrew's band Winter Hearth has adopted the symbolism, imagery, and history of their region and personified it into a unique blend of thrash, grindcore, folk, and black metal that is absolutely dripping with raw aggression epic storytelling, and surprising melodic breaks. Andrew and I discussed the band's history, their unique style, local lore, lyrical inspiration, and of course their newly released album, Riverbed Empire, which is already garnering fantastic reviews and generating impressive amounts of publicity. Additionally, we chatted about Winterhurst's newly released video of their performance of Metallica's Motor Breath, which is also, unsurprisingly, super badass and gaining tons of attention. Andrew is a super chill dude. See what I did there? And this was a really fun conversation full of a lot of interesting information. If you're a fan of extreme metal that crosses genres and dares to be different, then you need to check out this band, Winter Earth. Seriously, I shit you not. So, put on your parka, step into those not-quite-authentic mucklucks, and prepare yourself for a dose of blackened Canadian metal. Check it out. Thanks for joining me today, Andrew. It's an honor to have you on. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. It's funny that you mentioned Arctic because uh, we're starting off October with probably one of the warmest, most humid Octobers in records. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that's, oh, okay. that's your uh, global warming at work then. It must be. Like, it, it's brutal. <laughs> I hate the heat. Like, yeah. as soon as 20 degrees hit, I was like, oh, no. And I'm one of those stubborn guys. Like, I'm outside at my job doing AV work. Like, I'm still wearing my three layers of clothes. Like, I don't, I do not care. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said 20 degrees, but you're you're talking centigrade there. So we're on a, you know, us Americans, we don't understand what that means. So uh, what is what is 20 over here? Uh, I don't know. Is that like 50, 60? That's a good question. 20. Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll <laughs> look guys, it off after. You're going to get your science lesson today. <laughs> so, uh, but generally speaking, you're over as far east as you can get as far as Canada goes. Um, and uh, it's pretty fucking cold. Let's just say it that way. Oh, yeah. It, it can get cold. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I lived in uh, in Nanaimo, British Columbia when I was a kid on the other side, you know, on the on the coast kind of above where I'm at now. And it was it was pretty, pretty tempered there. It's pretty similar to what it is here. But I've got friends kind of all over Canada and uh, kind of universally hailed is pretty chilly, but where you're at, I mean, that's some, uh, that's some Viking level cold. That's some crazy shit up there. So, uh, oh, yeah. as a matter of fact, isn't that like, 
uh, where you're at. Um, like Leif Erikson kind of, didn't he found that area or set something up in that area, do some crazy Viking shit? And, and... Yes, uh, up around Lansom Meadow on the northern uh, peninsula of the island is uh, the earliest uh, evidence to show of Europeans coming over here to settle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's pretty. I've yet to see it. But now everyone I know who do see it, it's it's like a life changing experience. It's like, man, it is the coolest stuff you're ever gonna see. It's like, well, <laughs> I'd say, because with us, people say uh, John Cabot in 1497 sailed across, discovered uh, the Newfoundland because of a bunch of fish in the ocean, and now they can eat fish. It's no worries about not eating meat on Friday. Back in that century, but uh, then you realize when you actually start doing your digging. It's like, oh, actually, 300 years prior, there were people here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll call that uh, fake news history then. Um, so <laughs> you're you're on an island, though, which I, I guess I didn't realize that. So Newfoundland is is off of the mainland. That is correct. Okay. Or at least where you're at is off the mainland. Um, so are you guys all kind of on ferry systems and things like that, I assume? Or do you guys all just take private helicopters everywhere? <laughs> probably helicopters out of way sure. uh, there is the, I can think of at least three ferry systems uh, one well, there's, it's Newfoundland and then there's Labrador Labrador is actually attached to mainland okay. but when you take the ferry to Labrador you actually go to Quebec and then you drive up into Labrador but then the two main ferries there's one from Port of Basque which takes you to North Sydney and then there's another one the Cadi Argento route which is I think three at least twice the length but that one, I, I feel they just try to reserve it for uh, transport trucks. So sure. they give you they give you the scare price. It's like, well, for uh, three bodies, uh, a thousand bucks. Mm. Or, or I just drive eight hours to the next ferry terminal and like spend, what, 70 or 80 bucks in gas and only pay 480 bucks. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, anyways, now that we've uh, talked about Canada for a while um, and, uh, you know, we're going to have Terrence and Philip on later on, you know, if if (laughs) things go well. Um, So you guys just released your third full length album, Riverbed Empire, just kind of came out this last August. We're going to talk about that in a bit, but I want to get some things started with, you know, kind of some band history. So. So this is your, uh, you guys have been around for a while. So tell us about kind of how the band got together. Give us your origin story and, uh, you know, all that good stuff. Oh, get the popcorn ready. Yeah. <laughs> it's a show. It's a shit show. <laughs> well, let's see. I'm 29 now. The, so about probably as early as 10, 12 years ago, the ideas began okay. with my, um, my bud, Robbie Butler, who was the original bass player for Winter Hearth. Uh, we'd just be shooting the shit and um, Robbie at the time was playing in a band it, doing a lot of thrash metal covers like really Metallica and Testament kind of thing high school bands we're talking now sure. and I sent them a demo to one of our tracks it was just me at the time and he's like man he's like this is different from what I'm normally used to I'm, you know, I, I don't know much about the whole black death metal grindcore kind of stuff he's like man we gotta start jamming time progressed I was uh I went to uh, recording school, and through that, meeting people who also knew people, I got to meet, um, we got to have our original drummer, Mike Small. We started jamming, didn't even have a band name with our first show. Our first show was on Valentine's Day. Oh, wow, sweet. <laughs> right? I want to say 2013, yes, 2013. 
and uh, we were like two days prior and we still didn't have a band name and i was for some reason i just thought misery saint was the greatest band name ever their argument back was we're not a funeral doom metal band it sounds better for that kind of stuff i was like no way man this sounds awesome like that sounds evil and then i was like well what about blasphemous intent i was just calling up with names and the boys were dead set on not having a two-word band name. I was like, we'll work for Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. Someone, someone shouted Scarlet Woman at one point. I was like, no, we're not like a gothic glam metal kind of <laughs> mixture either. Not yet. So, not yet. Oh, yeah. Next album. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I'm driving Robbie home from our practice. And a freak snowstorm happened. And I was like, oh, great. I'm here in my 2001 Cavalier. Two-door Cavalier driving through a snowstorm. Hope the winter tires work. Now, if you'd have had your French-made Peugeot, right? Yeah, you'd, have, you'd have still been fucked, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Robbie just said, what about winter hearth? And in 30 seconds, I was like, I think that's going to work. And at the time, I thought this was like this unique word he came up with. And he's like, make it one word, not two. I was like, okay, I'm cool with that. Then he told me after it was some sort of reference to Skyrim or Elder Scrolls. I'm not, I wasn't much of a gamer at that point, or I was exiting my gamer life. So I didn't know much about RPGs. So I don't know how much truth there is to the relevance of that either, to be honest. So we start playing. Of course, like any band starting, the more you play, the more they just, the fans are slowly gathering. You know, we either used to get like, 50 people or we get three people it's like great and this one night our first ever halloween show we played it was supposed to be a tribute night but stuff got scrapped and it just went back to bands playing originals and i said no we got our tribute set ready it was actually a tribute set to venom oh wow and yeah we did a uh, mostly or well, it was mostly just tracks off the first three albums i wanted to do prime evil but that's another story <laughs> uh <laughs> And uh, we said, just let's just do it. Like we practice it. Like let's not let our let's not let the fruits of our labor go to waste. And we did it. And usually Halloween weekend here is what they had. We has Mardi Gras, so the the whole place is just littered with drunk people dressed up like. I guess at that point they'd be dressed up like Walter White from Breaking Bad around that time. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and they just start coming in. And coming in and just like, oh, my God, they're playing in league with Satan. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, they're playing Buried Alive. Holy shit. And, like, people were stoked because not many people, like, there's a metal scene here with a lot of unique metal bands. But usually the cover shows you'd see here would be more towards hardcore and punk, like, especially, like, the pop punk stuff. And you might see, like, some MCR kind of tribute acts, too. But uh, the Venom one, a lot of Venom fans... Sure. But there wasn't really a Venom thing on the go. And we just did that one show. And we just start getting way more people. Then, and people start liking us. And then we said, well, get a few recordings out, a few demos. Eventually, um, I remember it was January 2014. We debuted the song Witchcraft for the first time ever. And Mike had a pop in his arm when he played. And he didn't tell us this until the next day. Didn't want to worry us. His pop was a blood clot that oh, just fuck. formed while he was playing. So Mike had to step out for six months. We had another guy named Zach Keating. Me and Zach jailed big time with our love for black metal music. He's a huge sarcophagal fan. I'm 
Uh, and then we started uh, recording our first album. Now, at the time, you're thinking, well, this guy's just temporarily until Mike's back in six months. Mike, in, around month four, said, man, don't worry about it. I'm just going to step away for a little while. I said, okay, that's cool. We got recording to Curse of Summer. Curse of Summer came out. Uh, then uh, me and Zach went our separate paths. Mike came back. And, of course, I made this mistake of uh, your first album coming out. And, of course, with our original drummer coming back, we were just wanting to go right into a second album. Sure. And then uh, the following year, Resettlement came out. And that became, uh, I understand, uh, I guess some people call it the sophomore slump. No? Yeah, like some people say, well, the second album is not as good as the first album. Maybe we should let people digest the first album a bit more. Who knows? Now, the second album, Resettlement, it was more of our love for the Gothenburg scene. So it was a bit of a, not a crazy change. It wasn't like the black album, the load reload change. <laughs> oh, <laughs> hit a hot button right there. Right. I love all those albums, by the way. I don't know why. I feel like if Bush released Load or Reload, it'd been a different story. Sure. Right. Just because Metallica's name is on is whatever it was. Like, I, I heard a lot of Black Sabbath and Motorhead in it. Yeah. You know, and not to go down a huge rabbit hole about Metallica, but, you know, it's a very polarizing topic, you know, because just like any band when you're when your band becomes associated with a sound right so for yes. instance early thrash well they're clearly pioneers they're credited with more or less starting the movement you know you can argue either way that there might have been other people but really at the end of it metallica is always the name that comes up when you talk about kind of the origins of thrash metal as it became to be known oh yeah you don't really look at them so much anymore as if that's that their predominant sound right you know you get into like the black album kind of going forward they yes. might still have those elements, but a lot of people kind of felt like they had a departure from the original sound. And especially like load and reload, people were like, what the fuck is this? And St. Anger, like, what the fuck is this? Right. So, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> but th- that that happens. I mean, bands bands progress or they, they try new things and sometimes it's not even intentional. So I'm assuming that, you know, with, with you guys, probably by the time you got to the second album, um, you just were still so fresh off the first one. You just had ideas that weren't explored yet. Exactly. And a lot of it, too. I shouldn't say it was a total sophomore slump. Um, Areas where we thought it was going to be well-received, it wasn't. But areas where we thought we'd get no attention, it got super well-received. People loved it, yeah. So it was a a win-lose. And it's not like we lost those people to begin with. They just clung on to Curse the Summer. Yeah. So after resettlement... About a year and a half later, unfortunately, Robbie felt music wasn't his path anymore. I mean, at that point, he was not long graduated from cooking school. I guess he just wanted to try something new in life. It, it, it sucked a little bit because this was a dude i known. Well, I've known probably since we were kids, really, because I went to school with his brother. So I've seen him in passing. Yeah. And he was the only other guy who was a hometown person like me from Bonavista, Newfoundland. The rest of the guys... Mike's from around central or northwest. Zach was around Long Harbor because well, we all met, obviously, in the capital where we live to now. So eventually, well, during that time, I was rehearsing in a Ramones tribute act. And uh, the vocalist. Awesome. <laughs> I love the Ramones. Oh, man. Do not. People, like, is, like it's not hard to play, but just like Black Sabbath, remembering the structures. Yeah. Can be brutal, especially the Ramones when there's a lot of it's A5D5 
B5E5 over yeah, and over. Yeah, it's the same <laughs> notes, just in a different pattern, right? Right. It's a true definition of three chord punk. Exactly. Um, yeah. The vocalist, Lenny, Lenny Carey, he said, uh, dude, I just checked out your second album, Resettlement. I friggin' love it, man. I was like, well, I wasn't expecting that one. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, um, the topic came up. Like, I was half thinking on asking, and he was half wondering on asking me because I was getting tryouts on the go. And uh, I said, would you like to give it a shot? He said, um, yeah, he goes, I've been, I wanted to ask you, but I figured you'd say no because I don't really have a huge background in extreme music. I was like, well, you're willing to learn. So that, you know, that says something. So I uh, had a few shots with him, and I was like, well, this guy works out. Now, Robbie's style was more of a – Robbie loved Cliff Burton. Okay. Ro- and he loves Steve Harris, and he and loves – who does? I mean, those, those two, right? they're, they're fucking gods, right? And he loves Alex Webster. Like, he ah. loves – Yeah, and I'm pretty sure right before his departure, he was really getting into Peter Steele as well. Oh, typo, yeah. Yeah. Now, Le- Lenny – then he's more into the punk side, like, and he's more of a, to me, it's like having more of a Lemmy Kilmister playing, which it still works to my advantage. It gives us a different sound. There's more of a backbone as opposed to a bass player doing all of these crazy fills. Sure. And it's six to one, half dozen the other. Like, it still works for the new sound. And I should also mention, it just popped in my mind, right after Resettlement, our drummer Mike, uh, we decided to go separate ways. So every Winter Hearth album has a different drummer. Okay. <laughs> and I was going to ask you about that, but uh, yeah, so there it is. So uh, it's a funny story about that one because uh, the transition from Mike to Brad, Brad Ivany, he was playing in a band called Appian at the time, uh, just a local band playing with his friends. And uh, my buddy, uh, my manager, Tony, knew him, and Tony suggested and Tony at Still Heavy, by the way, great person to have in your corner. Um, so, uh, this is the funny part. Like at that point it was me, Brad and Robbie, our first show, it was either, it was either the, the November 5th show or it was when we opened up for Cauldron and Warsenal. I can't remember which one was the first and which one was the second, but the three of us never jammed in the same room at one, at that point. So it was literally just me and Brad rehearsing the songs. And I'm telling Robbie, trust me, this guy is good because <laughs> Robbie he didn't know too much. And uh, we played our set flawless. Like I was, I was super impressed because me and Brad only probably jammed maybe for two or two to three hours before oh, wow. the show. Yeah. And then we nailed it. Bitches. Right. And it's hilarious. <laughs> like a day before the guys are at another show and Robbie runs into Brad and he's like, and they're like, hey, I heard we're in the same band now. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, <laughs> you've been uh, you've been assimilated like the Borg. You're just you're there. It's a thing, right? <laughs> so uh, at some point, though, you, you get there. You've got you've got this new stuff. You're reformed. You're doing all this stuff, and then kind of you decide once this is all put together, it's time to make this this third album, right? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, the third album was the 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 writing was started before Robbie uh, departed. Yeah. So then once he departed, I was like, well, maybe I should just take my time, find the right fit, not just go rush, 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 and not rush a third album. Right. So I said, well, I'll take my time, and we won't actually ever, like, the biggest mistake bands, especially in my, at my, what's the word to use? 
position. I will say position. Like they'll announce that it's coming out when it's not even recorded. Yeah. Hey, we're working on a new album. Right? I'd rather like I'm the kind of guy in my mind, if I'm saying we're working on a new album, chances are I'm looking at the C D in my hand and I'm just oh, telling shit. you. Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah, like fucking hit the world with it, like bang, here you go. Yeah, like I we build it up that way because there's you know yourself, man, from playing in bands. Meeting deadlines sometimes can be stressful, yeah, especially when the public knows. Sure. Yeah. Right. And it's like, oh, no. you know, and, it's, and it's worth noting then. So, you know, you got uh, you got the first two albums came out more or less within a year of each other. So you've got, a you know, a two year time span of basically two albums coming out. And then you have Riverbed, which was about four years. That is uh, correct. Since the prior one. So so you guys took your time. And I, was that was that because you obviously you just didn't want to have the same mistakes you had earlier? But did you take longer to actually compose the songs? Did you think strategically about this is really what we're going to go after on this album? Uh, yes, um, I did take my. It's not that I didn't take my time a bit more. Usually, I'm weird in the sense like some people's like, well, it took me six months or a year to write this song. I'm one of those guys. 20 minutes. It's just one of those 20 minutes. And bang them out. And I just bang them out and bang them out. My biggest problem is, uh, and Riverbed definitely shows it. I tend to write songs like some of these tracks. They're long. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they were, they were longer. Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> like the shipwright, for example, I had a whole other song that was called the shipwright that didn't have one of those riffs. And it was a 15 minute opus. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I should go back in a year from now and split the riffs to two separate songs, and I just banged out another track called The Shipwright. And this was like two days before the recording process was going to start. Man. So Shipwright was the last song written for the album. Now, okay. Charm by the Dead was the first song. Charm was supposed to be on Curse of Summer. Okay. But I felt Charmed was too close to They Own the Night. Yeah. Off Curse of Summer. And it was like, I don't want two songs to sound very similar because um, anyone who's hardcore and extreme metal, like you listen to the riffs and charms, like, okay, this guy was just nonstop listening to individual thought pattern and symbolic. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm glad uh, you brought that up. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Um, so, but yeah, continue. And as opposed to like, you may notice like the other songs, you can hear a lot of uh, Opeth, old school, immortal and dissection. Yeah, like uh, sound wise, I always try to do the black metal meets the what I call the Swedish chainsaw, the entombed, the left Dude, hand. Dude, okay, path. so we're just going to go down this rabbit hole right now because I have yeah. that on my list to talk to you about. So let's just talk about before we dig into the, the, the songs and all that kind of stuff on your album, we're going to talk about your sound because as I've listened and I've only recently become uh, introduced to Winter Hearth and I, I definitely like what I hear, but immediately upon listening to Riverbed, the first thing that crossed my mind is black metal meets old Scandinavian metal, which of course there's some tie-ins there kind of meets the UK grindcore sound, you know? Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing influences of, you know, bands like, like dark throne, like entombed for instance, is a big thing. I hear some carcass, some napalm death. Um, you know, I, I hear kind of a lot of that. So, but at the same time, if you listen to riverbed, for instance, 
you wouldn't just say that this is a black metal album, right? I, I don't get that. There's elements of it there. And so yes. I, I, I hear this word that gets thrown around a lot, and I've talked to quite a few bands. You get that that the tag that says this is blackened thrash or this is blackened metal. So to you, kind of how do you define that difference between, say, black metal and, and something that's just like a blackened influence? Ah, um, what I tell people who's not – not so familiar. The best way to describe black and thrash metal, uh, to me, it's a fancier term for a lot of the German dudes, like the creators and the Sodoms. Like Agent mm-hmm. Orange, to me, would be the prime uh, definition of black and thrash metal for sure. Yeah. Or even um, old old school Sepultura, like um, maybe around schizophrenia area. Okay, schizophrenia, morbid visions kind of stuff. Yeah. To me, a lot of people don't give Sepultura enough credit on the early days, especially morbid visions, because like the whole war metal thing to me came from morbid visions and bestial devastation. Like I'd imagine the guys in bands like Blasphemy, that's what they would be listening to, you know, (laughs) when they were back in the 90s releasing their music. But yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely uh, hugely missed opportunity, I think, for people to go back and check out some of that old stuff. But getting back to kind of you guys then, you know, I, I characterize like a lot of your sound, for instance, where I get the black metal influence. You guys do like a lot of really fast alternate picking combined with the blast beats. Um, it's got that very raw kind of a sound to it, but you can still hear all the instrumentation. So the mix is great. Well, thank but you. it doesn't sound like producery or polished or stuff like that. It's really, it's very in your face and it's very raw. And that's very characteristic of early black metal, you know, picture like, I don't know, uh, dark throne, you know, not like soul side because that was pretty, that was pretty straight ahead death. Um, but you know, getting into, you know, like the second, third, fourth albums, um, yep. uh, of, of kind of that era is kind of where I see the black metal influence. Um, and then, you know, I've got some notes, but you, you mentioned Shipwright, which is one of my favorite songs off of that album. Awesome. Although North Star Be My Guide is probably my favorite. And that one to me is really black metal meets grindcore. I mean, I get a dark throne meets carcass off that fucking right off the top. Nice. And, uh, it's long, you know, you kind of blaze in the northern sky. That's kind of what I was thinking as far as like the dark throne era. Um, that's kind of what that reminds me of. And then like carcass wise, I was thinking like early carcass, like, you know, symphonies of sickness kind of era. So before they got into, say, for instance, like heartwork or necroticism, which really kind of went down the more melodic route but but uh north star is a very fucking melodic song actually in fact i think probably the most melodic song on that album and it's like eight minutes and some change so you know you're talking about like a really really long tune that has a lot going on so um every time i I listen to this album i've I've probably digested it i don't know half a dozen times or so at this point i get something new out of it each time but i keep coming back to that one and to shipwright as really being probably very complex structure wise and having those particular elements of really like thrash in black metal. And in fact, I think right now is a perfect time to check out one of these songs. So here it is off riverbed empire. This one's called the shipwright.
That is definitely a super awesome song with a super abrupt ending, by the way. And then you get into like Marshlands, for instance, which is cool because that, that that's like, we'll call that the fucking opus on that album, right? I mean, it's got a lot going on. You had, uh, you know, it's this really kind of 
folk inspired, you know, uh, intro. And then it's like, boom, it just fucking kicks you in the nuts and it just jumps in. Yep. And all of a sudden you're, you're screaming at people and, and you're freaking them out. And it's really cool. And then it has these really cool breakdowns. I mean, you guys really do a lot of, uh, you know, dynamic changes, tempo changes, time signature changes. There's a lot going on with kind of all of your songs. So it really is kind of hard to define, I think, what your current sound is all about. But I just kind of keep coming back to black metal meets grindcore. Yep. meets folk metal and that's just the best of all three worlds i think yeah it's funny you mentioned north star north star for released winter hearth tunes is probably is my favorite song too yeah oh yeah really yep yeah uh, funny the intro to north star i was like all right guys the, the best way to describe the intro just sepultura the fuck out of the intro <laughs> <laughs> sepultura the fuck out of the intro i you know i kind of like that so uh yeah i'm curious though i mean you guys you guys haven't given yourself like you know black metal nicknames or anything so uh or you know you haven't killed each other like say varg or you know the old uh, mayhem stuff so what's going on with that don't you want a little bit more black metal cred <laughs> right it's like no we we didn't take names from hellhammer tunes and use it as our nickname oh. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling shade, bitches. Right. so uh well you well, know you i'm know, sure that you well, i'm sure you probably heard this a lot already but you know what caught my eye uh also was that initial press release where uh, I think the quote was from you, where the album focuses on the timeless paradox of a beautiful evil by detailing the lesser known pieces of Newfoundland folklore in the intricacies of global atrocities. Now that's a big fucking statement and we're not going to dissect that super, super crazy. But at the end of the day, really a lot of the lyrical content for this album was inspired by, or was inspired by, you know, Newfoundland folklore, which I didn't know there was such a thing. So is that area where you're at, is that kind of known for having kind of like local legends and stories and things like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like Marshlands was about picking the, some people call them bake apples, some people call them marshberries, cloudberries. So I took a bit of a horror spin onto it because to get the berries, uh, people who pick berries, like you walk miles in the woods just to get a small patch and maybe fill up a quarter of your bucket. Okay. And it's like, there's a reason why it's $50 a gallon for those things. Because yeah, you got to in the ass and a lot of work to get to them. Oh, oh my God. My, my father says, I don't know why people pick berries for a living. You'll make more money on welfare. <laughs> <laughs> right. There you go. Right. <laughs> don't pick berries for a living. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, so Marshlands had the new flying folklore from that sense. Aside from Newfoundland folklore, I do tend to write a lot of, uh, I try to write, well, I'm a history buff. Okay. And I try to do it as if I was in a time machine and a spectator. Okay. I, Going I back in time and watching the shit as it unfolds. Yeah. And the shipwright would be for me going back in time. I just thought it'd be cool to write a song about people who build ships. Sure. And I was like, let's write about the Bismarck. Okay. And uh, and then I tied it into how, like, extremist governments of any shape or form. Like, I always tell people, uh, extremist ideologies, the people they recruit are the vulnerable. Yeah. And you look at Germany after, during that time, I mean, inflation was up through the roof. And then you had a guy coming along saying, we're going to be amazing. We're going to be the great empire we were meant to be. These people are the problem. They're the problem. That's the problem. We're going to take over. And the Bismarck 
was considered like the pride and joy of the the Nazi Navy, Kriegsmarine. I'm pretty sure is the proper term for that. So I tried to write about that and like just the nationalism, like we got this ship, you know, we're going to destroy, we're going to conquer the ocean. But then uh, it took like it's like 72 or 96 hours of constantly bombing it. And of course, once it sunk, one of uh, the UK's pride and joys in their Navy, well, that's it, then sink to Bismarck. I'll like follow it. And because the ship had damage to its fuel line, it was leaving a big fuel a trail of fuel in the Atlantic Ocean. So other ships from the Allies were just following it along. And the biggest fear was, is the ship going to go back to Norway or is the ship going to go to France? Yeah. And a lot of people were guessing Norway, but the dude who made the call was like, I got a gut feeling, man. He's going to go to France. He's going to go to occupied France. And sure enough, that's what happened. Yeah, that's really cool. And, you know, I, I, I really like the shipwright. I, I think, like I said, it's my second favorite track off that album. And uh, there's definitely a story involved, which is cool, because your, your songs, to me, feel like stories, which in that sense is very kind of Opeth-like. But yeah. um, I, I like the shipwright because it's got like uh, it's got a very old school thrash feel like, um, you know, whiplash kind of Exodus creator, uh, Sodom, old Slayer, Venom. All those elements are kind of there, it's... which I, I really liked. I was curious being from the area that you're from then as far as is, you know, keeping on the topic of, of the Newfoundland folklore. I mean, was there any tie in to kind of any any like uh, Scandinavian folklore, Viking folklore, anything like that? In general, for my writing, yes, because that's what really got me into the whole Scandinavian side of music. Sure. Um, the Gothenburg scenes, the black metal scenes, uh, the melodic death, well, melodic death and Gothenburg scene, never mind. And uh, just like the, the Lansom Meadow Viking settlement and the Scandinavian, and like how Scandinavia is like just beautiful land with lots of forests, lots of beautiful towns, and just like Newfoundland, like lots of beautiful towns. I mean, we rely heavily on the tourism industry. Sure. So you gotta have gotta have beautiful, pretty little towns and lots of wilderness. That's a, you know, city people want to escape the city life. Lots of places to go and take people out in the woods and drag them to their deaths. <laughs> He's not wrong. Lots of lots of marshlands and bogs. To, <laughs> lots of marshlands and bogs too. So bodies will sink and you'll never find them. Yeah, right. There you go. So. Uh, so that's awesome, though. Um, you know, so your your style of music is kind of this combination of of kind of folk metal with stories attached to it, which I just really like. It also kind of reminds me of like Amorphous a little bit, which was a band that I always thought didn't quite get the recognition they deserve. But I'm a huge fan of Amorphous, and I credit them with True. really kind of creating the folk metal feel. You know, where they brought in kind of like um, like uh, ethnic instruments that were you know proper to kind of their area and then using, you know, their local folklore to kind of craft songs and things like that, which, yeah, Absolutely. Tales from a Thousand Lakes is one of my favorite albums of all time. And I hear a little bit of that, like in songs like Marshlands, uh, which is, is clearly a, a pretty epic song. So speaking of that particular song, now you had some, you had some guest musicians that worked with you on this album, correct? Uh, we've had two. We had Annabelle from Devilment and Hugo from Beyond Creation. Cool. Annabelle was on Marshlands, by the way. She's a joy to work with. Well, oh, yeah. He, b- both of them are. Hugo was great, too. Um, uh, so uh, my manager, Tony, like, like any manager, you got lots of contacts like you wouldn't believe. Sure. And uh, he's like, man, he's like, how would you feel about guest musicians? I was like, man, if you can get them, I'm like, I don't care who they are as long as they're not like, like 
like, excuse me, Lions for Lions, not like fucked in the head, like political ideology, <laughs> like political ideologist that's just going to make drag my name through the mud, you know? Sure. And, um, oh, he's like, no, God, no. He's like, obviously, he's never going to be like that. <laughs> and I laughed. It was just, and they mentioned um, Annabelle and what, what she plays and what's that. And at that point, like, I'm not, I wasn't really the most familiar with Devilment. I just knew Devilment because it was uh, Danny Filth. Okay. And uh, got listening to it and got a meeting with her and we just discussed it all out. And she uh, showed me what she'd done with the liar and her vocals. And I was floored. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is friggin' cool. And this really fits the song. Yeah. Fits the atmosphere of like beautiful, beautiful landscapes. But yet. If you're there, something something bad is going to happen, you know? It just creates that uncomfortable feeling. Yeah. Oh, man, she portrayed it. Well, I couldn't believe it. And, of course, when it comes to uh, guest musicians, I'm all about... Uh, I'm all, If you give me an out-of-the-box idea, I'm going to be like, yep, yep. Because our guest musicians, usually when people think guest musicians, they're thinking guest guitar solo, sure. guest vocalist. Sure. That's usually the two most common ones. So Hugo... Being the virtuoso that he is, <laughs> in uh, in our title track Riverbed Empire, we have uh, what I call the Mellotron section. I have an Electro Harmonics Mel Nine pedal, yeah. which anyone who's into uh, anyone who knows anything about Mellotrons know they're expensive. They are very al- expensive. Yeah, let alone get a one that works. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, and they're fragile. Like yeah. that, when Genesis used to tour. Didn't they just have a truck for the Mellotron? That's because I, I was, heard that story. I don't know if that's true or not, but I would have a hard time believing it wasn't true. Um, yeah, like look at all the tapes in that thing just to produce your sounds. Like, yeah, yeah. There's so many moving parts. Yeah. So th- thankfully, the guys at Electro Harmonics, and no, I'm not endorsed by them. Shameless <laughs> plug with no endorsement. <laughs> right? Um, I just, I, my girlfriend got it for, for me for Christmas one year, so I just lined it into the preamps, and I said, I'm going to make this real cool Mellotron section. I used, like, orchestras and brass settings, yeah. and when we talked about having a fretless bass solo, I said, man, imagine having it right there. Like, because it's one thing to have a bass solo and with the rest of the loud music, but yeah, at least we're going to have a break and play a little bass thing, which is cool. I always appreciate that. Cause I think bass players get shit right? on probably it, more than anybody, especially in, in this style of music where like average BPMs go from 170 to 240, Right. And everything is detuned guitars in the same frequency range. Right. So having a spot, let alone or even the space, everything's always being played fast. So that not only to have a bass solo, but to have a moment where that person can shine too right so here we is with this section here a lot of space it's not even i mean it's not even really a distorted riff <laughs> like it's just replicated sounds from a mellotron and just hearing his takes it, it blew my mind i was like i feel like i'm listening to king crimson now oh man there's a name right? you don't hear that often anymore no that robert fripp he is a genius like yeah. he's too smart (laughs) (laughs) yeah so your your guest musicians they they weren't just kind of come in you know wham bam thank you ma'am record your shit and get the fuck out these guys had an actual kind of say in how their parts in the songs came out they were they were included in the process 
Yes, we showed the parts where we wanted them to be at. And we just said, basically, do what you think is right. Awesome. Well, it turned out killer. I mean, uh, clearly (laughs) their contributions are are awesome. I I guess I wanted to ask you too then. I mean, obviously you work in in the AV field. You you went to school for for audio. Did you record this album and and the others yourself? Yes, um, to yeah. <laughs> answer that, because um, with Curse of Summer, it was literally me just getting the scraping up what I can buy with, you know, I'm starting out in life. Sure. So, of course, it wasn't going to be the most pristine production. Resettlement was the first time I ever used Logic. Okay. Which I really enjoyed. Sure. But Mike, I'm going to give Mike the credit to that one because he mixed it more so than I did. All I really did in the post was the mastering. Okay. Now with Riverbed, I can't even comment on how the other guys record because because of COVID, at the time gatherings were outlawed. Right. So, so I was like, I'm not chancing like a two grand fine just to bring you to my house. Sure. So guys, do whatever you want. I don't care how you do it. Just make it sound good. And make and like uh, our drummer Brad, he's also he also went to recording school too. Okay. Uh, now Lenny, the bassist, he had Logic on his own computer, and he he knew how to DI off a of bass because he, he he has enough hands-on experience. He knew how to like, well, I can just DI my bass and send you the stems. So we, I just kept getting stems to me. I just edited it all out, made sure it all worked fine. It was the first time for me personally I used solid-state amplifiers in my recordings. Oh, okay. Because my Marshall JVM has a busted power transformer at the moment. Balls. Yep. So, uh, now, did I see somewhere then, solid state, so, like, a Randall, right? Is that what you, you ended up rolling with, or did you go somewhere else? I ended up using a Randall RH100, and this one was from the same, I think, 91, 92, that one is. It's okay. an older amp. I got, got a lot of good trade. I traded the Mesa Boogie throttle box pedal for it. The pedal just wasn't working out for me. Sure. So I used that through my trainer 412, and I had a Boss MT2 Metal Zone line around. A I was metal like, you know, zone, yeah. I was like, you know, everyone makes fun of this pedal. A controversial and, Metal Zone with that massive mid-scoop. Right. And at the time, I didn't have, because of COVID, I didn't have the resources or to get to to get an original HM. I was like, you know what? Let's let's just do the old effects loop and see what happens. And I was like, oh, wow, this is great. So one rhythm track would be recorded just straight in with the amp. And I only use use one SM57. I didn't even bother to do the stereo track it. Oh, okay. Yeah. uh, Sometimes I just find for me personally, I can get a bigger sound with less. I don't know what it is. And then you just just recorded extra tracks then, I'm assuming. Just, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so you went solid state, uh, and then all of you guys, though, you recorded separately. They sent you stems. You assembled the project, I, I'm assuming, probably in Pro Tools or Logic then? Uh, Pro Tools. Okay, right I'm on. A, I'm a Pro Tools nerd, but I unfortunately don't have the most up-to-date Pro Tools. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it all still works. Exactly. Uh, so, but you guys weren't, you weren't doing, like, live sessions and recording them simultaneously. You guys literally pieced this together yes it was That's all done hardcore, on, dude oh yeah all done on our own time and luckily 
I like editing more than I like mixing. Like you can give me tracks to splice all day, especially in the in the world of Control Z. <laughs> I can splice <laughs> all day. Right, that's awesome. <laughs> Control Z. So live it, learn it, love it. Uh, yep. So cool. So you you basically, though, as far as crafting the sound, that that is more or less kind of where, where you come into this and, and you're assembling it, you're putting it together, you're you're doing the editing now. Did you also mix it and master or did you send that out outbound to do somewhere else? I did all that myself too. And uh, look at you, fucking glory hog. <laughs> right. Um, usually um, sometimes people criticize the fact I don't put the vocals on top just because I, I, I like the old school kind of approach. Like when you listen to like early Bathory albums, like, like if I was doing like a more deathcore white chapel kind of thing, I'd have the vocals on top. It, okay. it just it suits the style. But I, I try to do like I try to still make it sound modern, but I still want that classic touch. Like the same reason why someone gets stoked because he got a Saxon album on. An old example, <laughs> but you know, yeah. And, so, uh, so that was an. Int- I was I, I kind of wasn't going to ask you about it, but since you brought it up, I mean, yeah, the vocals sit in the mix like right there with the guitars. Yes. So. That that was an intentional thing. That was intentional, yeah. Just because, I mean, it listened to a lot of the early second wave kind of black metal stuff, like the early Immortal albums. Same thing. Like, you mm-hmm. can, the vocals are a bit more buried. I find it gives a, for this kind of music, it gives a great ambience as well. It's very, it's very raw. I mean, it definitely, yeah. and it also kind of makes it where, in some cases, kind of like the goal of that time frame with that particular genre as it was unfolding was where, everything was one. It wasn't like yep. nothing, anything stood out above the other. You kind of hear everything equally. And that's kind of what I get yep. out of Riverbed Empire until you get to parts where specifically the goal is to, hey, listen, we're going to have this this breakdown. But as far as like yep. the main kind of heavy, kind of dark metal elements, you go for that sound and then you completely change it up and bring in these other super melodic elements, great slowdown passages, great bridges and breaks and things like that. Also wanted to point out that you guys don't do typical song structure, like, you know, verse, chorus, versey kind of shit. It's like a perpetual rolling, changing, you know, 10 minutes of fucking different shit in your face. And I mean, uh, it's not all like that, of course, but, uh, you know, it's definitely the way that you've mixed it. When those other elements come in, you recognize them more. Like yes. there's there and they're even more jarring and even more in your face, which I, I think is, is pretty awesome. Yeah. Thank you. You can, you can th- thank my love friend justice for all for that one. <laughs> <laughs> and justice for all, but no justice for Jason. Um, right. So uh, yeah, well that's great. And then I, I'm curious. And so you, you did, you released some kind of singles ahead of time, of course, and then you chose to do a lyric video for charmed. And Charmed starts out yeah. like super fucking abrupt, right? It just goes, oh yeah, boom, you're in the song. So yep. what was the the reasoning behind choosing that song as kind of a, your lyric video? Um, I think a lot of it was, of all the tracks on the album, Charmed was probably the most single structured. Okay. And, and it's probably one of the first... I can only think of one or two other songs where we have just, like you said, boom, right into it. Yeah. And um, I tried to actually make, for once, I tried to make a catchy hook with the lyrics. 
<laughs> and it's like when the dog devoured light. I was like, that'd be pretty cool for a lyric video. And then, of course, my manager Tony mentioned that I, the lyric video to me before I even like, like he said, like, would you ever consider a lyric video? I was like, well, of course. The more out there, the happier. We got our friend uh, Sean Murphy, who's uh, currently in film production school. He told us how how so many horror films are public domain, how you can have a cool montage of horror films that will go with the song quite well. Yeah. I remember the first, um, first draft I seen, I couldn't believe it because I'm for film and ed- editing film. I'm so out of my element. It's like, why is the camera on that angle? And not this other angle. Like I'm just right. over my head. So, it's not going to be take much to impress me for film because I'm just like, whoa. But like the font he used was great and charmed. It was probably the most radio structured song we got. Like it starts off with a hook from the course and it's the course riff verse to a cool refrain, verse, refrain, course. The bridge is not very long. Anyone who knows Winter Hearth well knows our bridges sometimes can be three or four minutes. Again, yeah. thank you, Justice for all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the cool thing with Charmed I really like was when the tempo just drops in the middle, like my Black Sabbath moment. Yeah. With the do, 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 back into the solo. It was, uh, it's the only song that's under five minutes. Hence why it's the radio song. <laughs> Probably makes sense just given that particular reason. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it is a great song. It's cool. I, I like it. The lyric videos is really fun. So speaking of videos, then let's talk about fucking motor breath. Oh, uh, <laughs> so this is probably, you know, the, the newest thing to hit as far as you guys are concerned. It was just released, right? Dude, um, two weeks ago when we were talking about arranging this chat. Yeah, that idea wasn't present then okay so let's talk about this uh, <laughs> you guys tell me tell us about this project and how it came to be and why so, you chose that particular song to do the project with so there's a local radio uh, our local k-rock radio station one of the djs he does his this tribute thing called in the addict okay and it's just different theme for everyone and he was doing a metallica one and uh my manager knew him and he reached out and said, uh, can you do a Metallica cover and a video? I guess they were thinking more of a, like, like those, uh, I call them, I call them quarantine music videos where everyone's doing their own thing in their little homes. Sure. Yeah. And, um, and the due date was October 1st. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, my work is slowly getting back up. And, like, if if our schedules wasn't so sporadic between the three of us, I would have attempted an Injustice for our track. Yeah. Definitely. So, I don't know why, but I thought Lenny's favorite track was Motor Breath on the album. Now, looking back, it was Whiplash. <laughs> <laughs> so, Two awesome uh, songs, though. Oh yeah, <laughs> so I was like, you know what? Let's just do something off Kill 'Em All, something that we can just bang out fast. Don't have to worry about layering guitars. Just do the do the the rhythm the leads. So I was like, well, Lenny's favorite song is Motor Breath, so he definitely knows it now. And he's like, I've never ever tried to learn that song before. 
whiplash in my favorite song. I was like, oh, crap. Oops. <laughs> Oopsie. So thankfully working at an AV warehouse, I managed to get uh, some microphones for a night. Got Brad down to basement, recorded it really quick, did my guitar parts, did everything like you do for a proper video shoot. Sure. Uh, manager got us a great location. We did the video. The video reminds me of, uh, I call it an early 80s European metal video. Okay. And that, now, right. now the more I'm thinking about it, it reminds me, I don't know why, it reminds me of this song and this video. Are you familiar with the band Bitch? Like they were pr- like an underground band called Bitch from like the early 80s. They were probably most known from the PMRC stuff. Okay. No, I'm so, not. But that you mentioned PMRC. Obviously, that was a that was a big deal back in the day with uh, you know D. Snyder getting involved. And, yeah. Uh, kind of t- and, and fucking John Denver. Um, <laughs> right. You know, it was pretty cool. So so, anyways, go ahead. But yeah, it reminded me the band Bitch. It was just hilarious. I almost caught you off guard when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> Did I hear that um, right? Um, they have an album called Be My Slave. I'm pretty sure that's the first album. And basically, it's a, it's a front of band. Mrs. is playing like a dominatrix kind of character. But like the setting of it, is, it was clearly recorded at a club. Just like our location was a club in the daytime that wasn't open that we managed sure. to get access to. Did all that. And just the way the camera angles are and everything, it just reminds me of it so much. It's like, I do love that song. It's literally, if you get a chance to listen to it, it's literally if Venom just sang about S&M. <laughs> <laughs> like, and had a female dominatrix frontman. But like, just for some reason, it just puts like the early days of MTV in my mind when people were like, were just, the ideas were exploding. And I love the video. I must say, and now... um I never ever thought I would ever record Motor Breath of all Metallica songs. So I figured I'd be a Disposable Heroes or um, or an Justice for All, like the title track, or a Dyer's Eve. I never ever imagined me doing something off Kill Ma. Of course, I had to uh, Mustaine the solos. Yeah. <laughs> if it's Kill Ma, I was like, I got Dave Mustaine these now. I was yeah. like, I got to do like Killing Is My Business era, Dave Mustaine, fast box pentatonics. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> I Dave Mustained it. That's uh, you've coined a new phrase in the <laughs> in the English lexicon of uh, describing a guitar playing style. So yeah, the video came out really cool. Um, it Thank was awesome. I, I think, uh, especially, it kind of blows my mind now that you're telling me that that was really a project that was put together with like zero time involved. That's that's pretty epic. Let's see. I talked to you. Uh, that was two weeks ago. We yeah. discussed this day. Mm-hmm. So that was Saturday. The idea. The the offer was presented to me that following Wednesday, Friday the, the Friday the tracks were recorded, Sunday the video was shot. So that was all in four days. That's and insane, like, dude. That's oh, I I just have a bad tendency of not saying no. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, yeah, I think in this case it worked out pretty cool because what it did was it gives you something else. So you've got your you've got Riverhead Empire comes out, right? You guys yep. can't really go out and play shows, for instance. Exactly. I know that there's a lot of people out there doing things like you know the live streams and audience engagement, but now this gives you one more kind of thing that you can present to your fan base um, to kind of keep them engaged. What else is on the books? Do you have other things that are planned that you can talk about as far as oh, uh, until you can't. can play shows? Can't really talk about it. The most I can say is we're looking at the live stream okay. avenue to see if it's fe- feasible. Excuse me, sorry. Sure. Let's see if it's feasible. And, of course, being an AV guy, 
if I half ass it, I'm gonna get made fun of at work the next day. Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> right. It's like so I'm really gonna see logistics and the monetary aspects to that. And now that I'm just thinking about the motor breath video, sorry to go back. It really go it really puts off that garage days feel. Like the oh, transitions and stuff. Yeah. Our friend Rick Tizzard uh filmed that for us and God love him for uh doing this on such a last minute thing, <laughs> I yeah. gotta say. But yeah, no, other than that, mainly just a lot. We're thinking on live stream stuff. If it happens, cool. If it don't, hopefully you see us in person when the pandemic starts to simmer down. If it simmers down, who knows? Yeah. But there is a lot. There is a lot of stuff in the back books that could take me. We're, we're talking years of planning because like I, I oh. can't I can't just do one thing and be like, now what? I got to have like the next five things in my mind. Right. Right. So. I know that you had mentioned that you are somebody who kind of writes and you just kind of, you bang out these songs. And I, I know that Riverbed just came out. Are you already thinking since you think future, are you thinking next album material wise as well? It's safe for me to say on my computer <laughs> with the amount of tracking that I do, because as soon as I get an idea in my head, I open up Pro Tools and I tempo map. You just map fucking it. put it down. And I, I just open up Amplitude, I DI it, just so I have it. Yeah. I can I can safely say, with what's there now, I can easily do, I, I can easily do two full lengths and an EP worth of material. Yeah. Right now. Oh. Just, so there's there's no shortage of stuff for people to kind of look forward to is what you're saying. Oh god, no. Unless unless I say I'm sick of this, not doing it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I don't I don't see that being a thing and I don't think people uh are ready for you to kind of uh throw in the fucking hatchet yet. So so that that's awesome. I, I think Riverbed is an awesome album. Oh, um, thank the you. the Motor Breath thing was just a pleasant surprise kind of out of nowhere. Um, and as far as, you know, doing Metallica tributes, which, you know, a lot of people are on the fence about people doing those. I think this was very well done. And I think you guys put your own flavor on it. Definitely. Because oh, <laughs> um, it didn't sound like any other Metallica cover I've heard, which is really fucking cool. <laughs> and, uh, and you've got some other cool stuff kind of in the works. So, um, so congratulations on all that. That is oh, epic. Thank you. Before we close this out, I want to play just a quick little game. Of this or that with you. You ready for this? Okay. All right, here we go. All right, Venom or Slayer? Oh, shit. Your life Venom. depends on your answers, by the way. I, I'm going to say Venom, although I want to say Hello 8 Slayer, but I got to say Venom because if it wasn't yeah. for Venom, you wouldn't have Slayer. <laughs> hey, there you go. All right, man. Dark Throne or Dissection? Oh, you are throwing the hard ones. Shit. I have to say Dark Throne. All right. <laughs> uh, Celtic Frost or Bathory? Celtic Frost. Yeah, fucking, he says no contest there. Carcass or Napalm Death? <laughs> oh, man. I got to go. Oh, Carcass. Yeah, that's my man. That's my man. All right. <laughs> Check this one out. Death or Autopsy? Oh. <laughs> oh, shit. <sighs> 
I, I'm going to have to go with autopsy just because they're the underdogs, I feel. Wow. Look at that. <laughs> going back to the old school. Yeah. And uh, and before I get to this last one, I just want to make a quick comment earlier when we were kind of uh, talking about death. Um, there was definitely some elements. You mentioned individual thought patterns. And I remember thinking that there was definitely some death influences on some of your songs, uh, which I thought was kind of cool because you did have some kind of cool technical breaks in there a little bit. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of especially in the melodic stuff, you know. Uh, so I just I kind of wanted to I thought that was cool that you brought that up. And oh, I was like, OK, I wasn't sure if that was just me, but clearly it's in there. So uh, so but going for the autopsy, I'm sure Eric Cutler, who's floating around out there still would love to hear that. So because, you know, Eric Cutler's listening to this show, right? So. No. Um, all right. Now, last one. Yeah. I don't even know if this is is not music related, so I don't even know if you give two shits about this, but uh, we're going to go coast to coast here. Seattle Seahawks or New England Patriots? Seahawks. Oh, look at you going for the Hawks. Bless your soul. Um, so, <laughs> hey, uh, Andrew, this has been a blast, dude. Uh, tell oh, everybody out there in radio and podcast land, how do they check out your music? Where do they find you on the interwebs? And how do they learn more about your epic band known as Winter Hearth? Well, everyone's in luck because <laughs> we're available on all streaming platforms. Uh, Merchandise-wise, if you go to stillheavyproductions.bigcartel.com, you can see all of our latest merch. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash winterhearthmetal. I mean, really all you got to do is go on Facebook and type in Winter Hearth. We're going to be there. Sure. Um, and we're also on the Instagrams. Um you can just follow us on YouTube. You can, f- yeah, all the music is up on YouTube as well. <laughs> Sorry about the pause. I just stopped and think. No problem. But yeah, that's cool. uh, that's our main that's our main platforms. And then, do you guys also do you have physical albums, or is, are they all just streaming at this point? Uh, Curse of Summer Resettlement. Unfortunately, we have none left. Maybe there will be a repressing. Who knows? Sold uh, out, man. <laughs> right. So I sold out. Sold <laughs> to the devil. Uh, Riverbed Empire again. Still heavy productions.bigcartel.com. You can get a, a nice pretty CD copy of Riverbed Empire. You can also we also got bandanas. That's new for us too. You can get bandanas of the artwork. Yeah, and cover up your fucking ugly faces with those bandanas, guys. Do the world a favor. So uh, awesome. Well, hey man, thank you so much for joining me today, for talking about your band, for giving us some history. And uh, also thank you for daring to be a little bit different in this time where a lot of stuff kind of sounds the same in a lot of ways. So, uh, so props to you and, uh, and your band for, for doing some awesome music and, uh, for, for keeping us all entertained while we're, while we're on lockdown. It's, it's been awesome having you on the show. Thank you for doing these awesome podcasts. Woohoo. Yeah. Everybody wins, right? Right. (laughs) All right. So check them out guys all the streaming platforms, stock them on social media, go to all their websites, buy all of their merch, make sure that they sell out of everything and keep your eyes and ears peeled for Winter Hearth. You haven't heard the last of them. Andrew Marsh, thank you very much, brother. Peace out. And what he said about buying the merch, I'm not sure. Everyone who likes Rick and Morty is like he said in season four, buy, keep buying. Nobody's buying because of this fucking virus. (laughs) All right, guys, we'll see you next time later you know there's just not enough rick and morty references in music these days but i digress 
Thanks again to Andrew Marsh from Winter Hearth for joining me today. And thanks, of course, to all of you out there in podcast and radio land for tuning in once again and being willing to sacrifice a few brain cells for the betterment of society. Make sure you follow Misery Point Radio on all the social media sites. Like, share, follow, all that mumbo jumbo. Make sure you give that Facebook page some love and invite those people you call your friends to do the same. That really helps me out tremendously. You can also subscribe to the show on your favorite streaming platform, which now includes Amazon Music and Alexa and the mighty Pandora. You can also check out the show at spoilerverse.com forward slash misery point radio. So let's close this one out with one more epic song from Winter Hearth, my favorite cut off of their brand new album, Riverbed Empire. Bang your fucking head to North Star. Be my guide. Oh, no.